So we're moving on from our Grow series into our Lent series. And so Lent began when? Wednesday, uh, with Ash Wednesday. How many of you went to Ash Wednesday service and got the ashes on your forehead or whatnot? Awesome. So Lent began with uh, Ash Wednesday. And so we're starting our Lent series. And just a word on Lent. Uh, We're in the season of Lent, and during Lent, many of us choose to fast, we choose to pray, we choose to give, and we take some time out, we take time to take up some sort of discipline of self-denial. And perhaps you gave up coffee, or you gave up uh, sweets, or you gave up watching Netflix, or TV, Uh, but the core of the self-denial isn't the desire to lose weight, or not to get cavities, or uh, to use your time in a better way. Um, I personally gave up TV. Um, And there's many side benefits to that, right? Giving up TV for me has meant that I'm actually losing weight because I'm going to bed earlier, which means I'm getting more sleep, and my body's recovering and digesting properly. And So that's a side benefit. Plus, I'm talking to my children more. My wife loves me more. All of these things uh, are happening because I gave up Netflix, because I gave up TV. But it's more than just these things. We give things up uh, to become more aware of our deeper longings, how we hunger and thirst after God for our deeper desires, to become more aware of what we really need to become more aware of what God is doing in our lives, to become more aware of how he's moving in the world, um, to become, we give up our resources to understand more deeply that everything belongs to God. We pray in counteraction to the other voices speaking into our lives that would strip us of our true identity, um, that aren't life-giving and that are not words from God. So during Lent, we walk Uh, with Jesus on his 40-day wilderness journey, Um, not because we are spiritual heroes able to deny ourselves and withstand all manner of temptations like Jesus did in the wilderness, but we journey with our eyes on Jesus in full acknowledgement of our vulnerability, of our need uh, for him, and our need for his saving work in our lives. Amen? So let's consider uh, the wilderness journey. How many of you would say you've been in the wilderness, quote unquote, in the wilderness? Okay, we can fill that out a little more. Or maybe you're in the wilderness now. Uh, Many times people say, I'm in a desert period or a desert season, right? I'm wandering lost. I don't know where God is taking me. Or I'm suffering right now for some unapparent reason, and I'm searching for answers. I'm looking, I'm thirsting. Um, I'm in a dry time, right, in my life right now. So let's consider this wilderness journey. If you have point A, right, uh, point A is the known commodity. It's where we, it's our wheelhouse. It's where we're comfortable. Maybe it's at home. We speak the right language. We know what we're doing. Our identity is secure, right? We feel comfort, our comfort zone. Your best, your favorite foods that your mom made at home, you're eating those, right? And you feel good. That's point A. But point B 
um, is the place of discomfort, right? Point B is the unknown over here. You've never been there. It's a distant foreign country. It's uncomfortable. You don't feel um, at ease. You're a fish out of water. You're not sure of yourself. It doesn't make sense to be here. The space between is the wilderness. The space between A and B is the wilderness. In this space, you are migrant. You are refugee. You're a wanderer. You're a nomad. And here's what happens in the wilderness. I made a short list of eight points. <laughs> uh, in the wilderness, we get, this is an eight-point sermon. Uh, in the wilderness, we get tired and hungry. Our longings and desires become heightened. Our longings and desires become skewed. We tend to cope. In the wilderness, our bad side comes out. I see your true colors. In the wilderness, we have the opportunity to be saved over and over again. We can be refined and our faith will be made stronger. We can more fully understand and have compassion for those whose lives may be more deeply defined by wilderness. And in the wilderness, we can move from a religion of comfort to a more prophetic, deeper faith. So what is your point A? And what is your point B? What journey have you been on? Where have you been headed? From where are you coming from? What have you endured? What are your hopes and dreams? What are the ugly parts uh, of you that you wish you could unsee and forget? For what do you long after? What has God spoken to you on the way? How has God delivered? How have you been disappointed in life? So moving, let's move to our passage. In this well-known uh, story of the temptation of Jesus, it's pretty well-known, right? It's in the uh, uh, different Gospels have different accounts of it. And in my head, at least, it's kind of all melded together. And in reading Luke's version, I'm like, oh, actually, that's not in that version because I'm so used to the story, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's not actually, the mouth of God part isn't in uh, the Luke version. And so... I've kind of blended it all into one story, but it's, it's been really interesting to kind of sit with the Luke passage and pick out uh, what distinguishes it, what, what, what's emphasized. And one of the things that's emphasized right from the get-go is verse 1, I want to point out verse 1, Jesus returned from the Jordan River full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Holy Spirit, Spirit. And this is one of the emphases of Luke is, Luke acts for that matter, is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is consistent through the gospel of Luke. Jesus doesn't do anything without the Spirit going with him, without being filled by the Spirit. And of course, in Acts, we know the church that's birthed um, is filled with the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit moves ahead of the church, giving it mission, give, making crazy things happen, uh, and, and whatnot. And this passage is following chapter 3, where what happens to Jesus? Jesus is baptized. Right? It says, and Jesus was baptized along with everyone else. Everyone, John the Baptist is doing his ministry, and Jesus comes to see what he's doing, and everyone's getting baptized, the common person getting baptized. I feel like I, I want to make a life change. Whatever you're saying, this is speaking to me. I want to be closer to the God of Israel. 
And so they're being baptized by John the Baptist, and Jesus steps into line, or steps in uh, with everyone else and gets baptized. And what happens? Oh! <laughs> the clouds open up, right? There's a bright light, and, and the Spirit of God, it says it takes a physical form like that of a dove and descends upon Jesus. And the voice of God says, You are my son, whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. You are my son, whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. So then from that, we get Jesus' genealogy at the end of three, um, which is like, okay, Jesus' genealogy. But one thing I can uh, point out about this is we see more of Jesus' identity, right? Right before this, it's Jesus' infancy accounts, his birth narratives, right? And everyone is saying, oh, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Oh, Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And then, boom, chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. Um, and then God, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. God says, this is my son. I love him. I'm happy with him. And then his genealogy, which shows and demonstrates that Jesus came all the way from the line of Adam, right? Jesus, you can trace this genealogy all the way back to Adam, and you can study it, and there's all these important people in there, or not so important people, except that God found it important that these people were part of Jesus' genealogy. But we see who Jesus is, Jesus' identity as the Son of God. And then, boom, Jesus returned from the Jordan River, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, this Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, right? And you're thinking, wait a second, Jesus just had his moment. He just had his moment in the sun. He just had his coming out party, his quince años, right? Or like his bar mitzvah, right? He came out and God came down from heaven and said, this is my son, right? Oh, and from as soon as he left that moment, you're thinking, oh, and the Holy Spirit fills him, right? The Holy Spirit fills and leads him, right, to this happy place, to this ecstatic moment, to a dance celebration, jumping with joy. No, the Holy Spirit moved him, led him to the wilderness. Right? So anticlimactic, right? That's not what we expected to happen. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit leads us and we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, it doesn't just take us to seasons refreshing. It doesn't just take us to Holy Spirit power dancing. Right? It doesn't just take us to parties of rejoicing and singing and dancing. Right? Where does the Holy Spirit lead Jesus? Boom, right into the wilderness to, be, to fast for 40 days. Right? in isolation, and then to be tested by the devil for 40 days. It's like, yay, hurrah, now here's your trial and your tribulation. Um, and we, didn't know, we need to know that when we follow God as followers of Jesus and disciples of Jesus, when we're led by the Spirit, sometimes the Spirit will take us into trial, into the wilderness. And we're like, what is going on, right? Our lives get disrupted. We get confused. 
This is not what I signed up for. This is hard, right? I had everything together, but now I can't figure things out. Everything that I built up that was ordered has shattered. And I'm being tested. And let me just fast forward uh, to verse 13, the end of our passage. Um, It says, verse 13 reads, The devil departed from him until the next opportunity. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Um, And yet it was in this anointing that he has a trial. He's tested by evil. He's thrust into tribulation and hardship, not into comfort, not into public acclaim and riches. Jesus was led to the wilderness. Um, And then right after that, it says, and Satan went away waiting for another opportunity, waiting for the next opportunity to test them. Um, so we know that the barrage will not end, right? The trial will not end, that the temptation will come back, the wilderness time will come back, and Jesus needs to be ready, will be ready, and will walk into that time. So what is this wilderness? What is the wilderness for? Is it a time of extreme loneliness and rejection? An extended period of financial turmoil? I've been there. A long season of a deep, the deep sense of God's silence and abandonment? Years of not knowing your purpose and wrestling with calling? Everyone in their 20s right now is like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Um, suffering in an illness or sickness estranged from family my family history is full of drama right aunts and uncles when we were little kids we're like how come we can't go to auntie janet's house or how come we can't go to aunt eleanor's house because they're fighting. Uh, what happened? I don't know. One day, Dad walked out and during a celebration. It was like, oh, so for 20 years, we're never going to see our cousins again. <laughs> it's just random, right? It's, it seems silly, but you know, we are estranged from family all the time or from friends. Um, and that can be a, be a wilderness. Um, singleness? I just put that as the last thing. Question mark? that was totally for me it was the wilderness of all wilderness singleness God made me have all this love right for beauty and yet I'm single for so long right what is this I don't understand Uh, not that marriage is the point B necessarily Anyways, that's another time and place. (laughs) It is when Jesus is in the wilderness that Satan confronts him with his own longing and desires. It's in the wilderness that Jesus is tested to the max, 40 days. Do you know the 40-day fast is pretty much the longest a human being can live without food? And actually, um, in Korea, South Korea... There are prayer mountains dedicated to people who want to come and pray and do like 
fasts and even 40-day fasts. And my father um, actually did a 40-day fast, which, um, you know, they say the son will follow in the father's footsteps. I'm like, I'm never going to follow those footsteps, <laughs> right? That's another era and another culture. Um, but uh, my father did a 40-day fast, and he came back. I remember when he came back home, completely, I didn't recognize him. He was skinny. He looked young. It was like one of those uh, uh, pictures where you have the, the daughters and the mother, and you can't tell the difference. Who's the daughter? Who's the mother? Right? That was like me and my father's like, who's the dad? Who's the son? He looks completely different. Um, but for him, it wasn't an extreme diet program, right? It wasn't just, he didn't just go to lose 50 pounds or whatever he lost. He prayed, he fasted, he had visions, he cried out to God, he was healed physically, uh, and he told me all these stories. Uh, he told me uh, a little bit about the experience, like the first week uh, was pretty hard, like, oh, I want to eat, I want to eat, right? He, he felt the hunger. Um, and then, um, he got to a point where he hit the fasting high, right? Like, oh, I can get through this. I don't even feel that hungry, right? I feel kind of good. So that's for like a couple weeks or 10 days or so. And then he said the final 10 days were absolutely excruciating. It's like his body was eating itself alive, right? And he wanted to die. He wanted to walk away. He wanted to quit. Right? But on top of kind of the physical uh, suffering of fasting, there's the solitude, right? 40 days away from family, of being isolated in prayer. You know, your mind begins to play tricks on you, right? And you get kind of, he got kind of confused, uh, longing for food, longing for home, longing for relief, for comfort, uh, longing for God to say something, to clearly say something. Right, to make all of this matter, right? Does this even matter, what I'm doing? Um, he told me a story of one of his prayer times um, where he was sleeping and he was, it was a dream, and he's, uh, he was either running or driving a car on the highway. And this is, you know, you're either walking or driving. You know how dreams are kind of confu- ambiguous like that. So he's on the highway, and there's a semi-truck behind him pulling its horn. Ah, ah, and these flat, the headlights just bright, high beam behind him. And he's like, what's going on? He looks back, and this voice is saying, get out of my way. Get out of my way. Honk, honk, honk. And uh, later on reflecting on that, my dad was like, God was saying that he needs to get out of God's way. That he was trying to do ministry in his own might, and he was kind of, you know, hindering what God wanted to do, and so that that truck was God. Like, there's so much more power, so much more momentum, and that I'm and I'm coming, and you just and you're kind of like in front of me, like ah, right? Get out of my way! Um, so that was significant uh, for him. But it's into this agony, this type of agony, that Satan tests Jesus, right? The wilderness, the hunger, the pain, and the isolation. 
And the devil highlights Jesus' longing. I think there's a slide for this. And I kind of summarized it into three categories based on the three temptations. In verses four, three through four, Satan says, hey, you're the, if you're the, since you're the son of God, look at that rock. Change that rock into bread, right? And Jesus responds out of Deuteronomy 8.3, people don't live on bread alone, right? People will not live on bread alone. And the second, the second temptation, Satan comes, since you're the son of God, the same opening, since you're the son of God, right? We hear the story is that you're the son of God. That's your identity. That's what the, the dove said, the, the voice from heaven said, you're the son of God. Since you are the son of God, look at all, let's climb this mountaintop. Look at all these cities, all these towns, these kingdoms. Every single one of them that you see will be yours. You'll be sovereign. You'll rule over them if you'll just bow down and worship me. Right? And you've heard the phrase, making a deal with the devil. Right? Satan's trying, the devil's trying to make a deal with Jesus and slip that in. Right? Just, I'll give you everything. Just give everything back to me. Right? And Jesus is having none of it. Jesus says, you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Around the same place in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, 13. Uh, and then the final temptation, and I like to call this customized salvation or entitlement. Satan getting, kind of getting the drift that Jesus is using scripture against him says, okay, I can use scripture. Psalm 91, 11 through 13, right? If you, in summary, if you throw yourself, right, from this precipice, like God will send his angels, his host of angels, his angels' armies, right, to come and catch you up, raise you up before your foot even touches the ground, right? And Jesus, quoting from Deuteronomy again, 616, don't test the Lord your God. Don't test the Lord your God. Right? And the reason why I've kind of labeled this customized salvation or entitlement, it's, right, have religion your way type of idea that we, I think, in, a con in our consumerism, suffer from a lot of times of, hey, right, God, do this for me. Right? When we want something, we pray to God and we ask him to do this, do this. And in a lot of ways, we tend to put God in our little theological pocket, right? We put God in a box saying, God's only meaningful to me. God only works for me if he shows up in this situation in the way that I want him to, in the way that I pray. But if, if the reverse, if it, the situation is flipped, will you change? Will you transform for what God and the Holy Spirit is leading you into? Then we kind of balk, right? We're kind of like, oh, I don't know. That's too hard. All right, let me go down to the church down the street, right? Let me choose a different mentor, Dave, right? Um, when it gets to the point where we are changing, right, uh, for the God of the universe and what his word is speaking to us, we balk. And so we like to oftentimes customize faith, customize our religion, right? And this is, comes from entitlement, right? 
maybe, you know, maybe I always got something, you know, for my parents. Whatever I asked, they gave it to me. You know, I was spoiled or whatever. So, you know, God is like that to me. God is the cosmic vending machine, right? I pray and he gives it to me, right? He gives it to me, have it your way, Burger King, right? Um, so Satan, that's his temptation is, just throw yourself, right? Test God. He's going to save you. That's what scripture says, right? Scripture says a lot of things, right? Don't throw yourself off a mountain, okay? Um, but what we see in this kind of uh, conflict between Satan and Jesus is two conflicting narratives, right? Two stories that are in conflict. The first story is that from Jesus' baptism. You are my son whom I love dearly. I'm happy. In you, in you I find happiness. And then Satan's narrative, which he's trying to paint. Since you are the son of God, why don't you just do this? Right? Satan is attempting to skew Jesus' true identity. And in attempting to rob Jesus of his trueness, Satan is offering relief for his desires and longings or immediate gratification, right? You're hungry, you're tired, you're lonely, you're desolate, here, here's some bread, here's the opportunity for power and influence, right? Here's the opportunity to shape things the way you want it to be shaped. Just bow to me, right? Just sell your soul to me and I'll give it to you. Um, Satan is offering him a deal. And we see this, right, in the garden in Genesis. Right? The serpent says, did God really say? Right? Satan in and of himself can't make something new, right? Can't create a whole new world. He takes what God's word, takes God's word and skews it, right? Since you're the son of God, just feel alone you feel ambitious in your life no one recognizes you you've worked your heart off at work and you get a pen on your 10th anniversary right What is it for you, right? Satan has these buttons that he's wanting to push in Jesus, right? That kind of cater to his longings and his desires in the wilderness. What are the buttons in you, right? That he could just, right? If you push it, you're like a Pavlovian dog, like salivating. <laughs> yeah. So the narrative of Satan is this. It is in your hands to save yourself. It is within your grasp to attain the things you want. Just try God. Just put him to the test, and he'll help you in the way you want him to. The only thing is, you have to sell out to me. You have to sell your soul to me. That's the only thing. Uh, proclaim my Godhood in your life, and you will be lifted out of this wilderness but the narrative of God and I'm going to dismount with this the narrative of God 
that which we know from the Holy Scriptures is that there is one good and powerful God who loves us and calls us to himself, offering life and life abundantly. People don't live on bread alone, but also on the word of God. We worship only God and God alone. And God doesn't bend and bow to our will or imperfect theologies, but we bend towards him. The 40 days, or plus six Sabbath days, of Lent is a time we walk beside Jesus in the wilderness in acknowledgement of his leadership and lordship in our lives, in acceptance of the great story that is greater than all other narratives, and as a means of reaffirming our faith and purifying our own desires and longings. Yes, we need things. I need things. I need to finish all the shows that I started on Netflix. They're just hanging there. And then if I, after 40 days, if I go back to it, I'll have to watch all the episodes again because I forgot what was going, going on. Because the previously on doesn't, doesn't help at all. Um, we need things. We want and we long. And we desire the life and love we have in Christ. Uh, oh, we want and long and desire after things. But on a much deeper level, we want uh, what Jesus has for us, the life in Christ. And for this reason, we choose the way of the cross over anxiety, over physical provision, over our own ambitions and desires for influence, and over our temptation to create a religion and spirituality that is self-serving and idolizes comfort. Um, one of the things uh, I've been sitting uh, with Professor Sung Chan Ra, who's a professor of theology, and he's a Korean American. Um, but one of the things he pointed out is, if you've read the book uh, Divided by Faith or United by Faith, those books, they're written by sociologists, and they kind of study the church, the evangelical church, and kind of how segregated we are. And they ha- use these metrics like of segregation, and they studied like uh, your average school in the city, in any of our neighborhoods, you take a school. And those schools are more integrated right, and with diversity than the church. And it's by a lot, right? Like tons and tons and tons. And so this question, the natural question is, whoa, right? And the church, we've become more divided than even what's reflected in our schools, like, or in our workplaces. How can this be? And his point is, I'll I'll give it to him so I don't have to, like, take the heat from everyone else, right? But his point is that we've bought into a theology of comfort in the church. That church is the one place where we can be comfortable, right? And have things the way that we want it. Have worship be the way we want it. Have the pastor look the way we want. Have the teaching be the way we want it. And listen to the stories and the narratives in the way that we want it. And um, he talks about uh, kind of the movements of racial reconciliation and the evangelical church. And how like it's almost a trendy thing. Like, oh, we're a multi-ethnic church. But there's two movements in the multi-ethnic movement. right? In the multi-ethnic movement... There are churches that, you know, you, by image, 
right? Visually, we're multi-ethnic, right? Um, but it comes out of kind of a philosophy of colorblindness. Right? Oh, everyone's the same. Everyone's loved. We're all unified. We're all loved in Jesus Christ. There's no black, white, or Asian, or Latino. There's, there's just one body. We're all people of Christ, which is a good idea. The other movement is racial reconciliation, which is, means conflict, right, and confrontation, and why are you leading like that, or why are we singing these songs, or, and when you say that, it offends me, right, and uh, Dr. Ra's point is those kind of churches are slower, and the growth is slower and more painful, uh, but in many ways, they're kind of living out uh, reconciliation as it is um, in the gospel. Um, I bring that up because of that third temptation. I think for us in the church, it's the kind of the have it your own way faith, right? To put God in a box so that we're not offended or it's not too painful to follow him. Right? And actually, um, sometimes following Jesus and being led by the Spirit means we are led into the wilderness. It means that, oh, it's ugly and messy. And as corporately, as a church, it means it gets messy, right? And it doesn't go the way that I always want it to go, right? And it means, ouch! And that's, that freaks me out as a pastor, especially as a church planner. Nathan and I were, were kind of laughing about it is, man, if you, like, bring the hammer down, it's like, you know, initially it'll be good, or long-term it'll be good, but initially you'll lose, you'll lose, maybe you'll lose people, right? But then we're like, we don't have people to lose, right? We lose people. That's the that's bottom of the well, right? We'll be in the mud, like, where's the remnant, right? It's like, it's such a risk, right? Especially when a denomination's looking down at you, right? And there's numbers and benchmarks and, you know, the, the church growth principles and like, ah, ah, ah. And to be called to live, to be a church that's prophetic, right? That's a prophetic community um, is, is a challenge. Um, but this is my challenge to us, that we'll go where God leads us where the spirit leads us, whether that's in the wilderness, whether that's among people um, that we don't want to be among, or, or whatever. Go where God leads you and remember what your true identity is. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we don't live on bread alone, but we do live on your word. And I pray that in this time of Lent that our, you'd give us a heightened awareness and acceptance of uh, you and what you're doing in the world and what you're doing in our own lives and um, give us the strength and courage to walk with you in the wilderness not because uh, we're able to do it by the strength of our own will but uh, because of our need our deep need for you in your name we pray amen